this week to actually check my batteries before I got up here. <coughs> so we are in uh, Genesis, uh, actually uh, chapter uh, 13 today, and uh, or excuse me, is it 12? The end of 12, and uh, and into maybe the first verse of chapter 13 or so as we as we proceed on. <coughs> so let's read. <clears throat> uh, let's just read chapter 12, uh, and that will remind us of the things we talked about last week, and then we'll pick up and go on from, from there and talk about uh, the last part of the chapter. So, <clears throat> he starts out in 12 in verse 1. He says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abram went forth from the land as the Lord... Uh, <coughs> excuse me. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him and Lot went with him. Now Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abram took Sarai his wife and Lot his nephew and all their possessions which they had accumulated and the persons which they had acquired in Haran and they set out for the land of Canaan. Thus they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem to the oak of Morah. Now the Canaanite was then in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Then he proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the east, or excuse me, on the west, and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Abram journeyed on, continuing toward the Negev. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. And it came about when he came near to Egypt that he said to Sarai, his wife, See now, I know you are a beautiful woman. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Please say that you are my sister, so that it may go well with me because of you, and that I may live on account of you. It came about when Abram came into Egypt, the Egyptians saw the woman was very beautiful. Pharaoh's officials saw her and praised her to Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. Therefore, he treated Abram well for her sake and gave him sheep and oxen and donkeys and male and female servants and female donkeys and camels. But the Lord struck Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. Then Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him and they escorted him away with his wife and all that belonged to him. So Abram went up from Egypt to the land of Negev, he and his wife and all that belonged to him and Lot with him. Okay? Well, last week we picked up pretty much in verse 4 and we looked uh, down through verse 9 or so. Uh, what do you remember or what sticks in your mind that we talked about last week? Yeah, didn't always happen, yeah. Why did it happen in their case? You know, they walked by faith and the Lord led them. So, yeah. What else? Well, it appears recorded here in about verse 8 at the end where it says, um, Abram called on the name of the Lord. Apparently, God had been calling him and communicating with him and now this seems to be the first time where he has responded and mm -hmm. is calling on God so that that's pretty significant because the there is no relationship if it's always one way yeah yeah so 
And maybe it did happen earlier. We yeah. just didn't say it. But there's, some, there's obviously something to the narrator. There's something significant about what happened here. Yeah, exactly. So I really do believe, as I said last week, that I think this is a step forward in Abram's relationship with God. It's really a, a, a deepening of his intimacy and his walk with the Lord. Yeah, for sure. Yes? Uh huh. After he stepped out, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, that's typically how he works with us, isn't it? He requires that we that we step out and put our feet in the water, and then after we put our feet in the water, then the Jordan uh, opens up for us. But oftentimes, not until we get our feet wet. So. What else? Yeah. It's easy to lose sight of that. We're going to talk some more about that today because uh, Abraham has some struggles in the lesson we're going to talk about today. So, uh, uh, yeah. We talked too about the places that he stopped. Remember that? We talked about the three places that he stopped uh, uh, for some period when he, as he was traveling through uh, this land of promise. What was the significance of of some of those places. You remember what the significance of Shechem is? Now, they kind of have, you didn't say it directly like this, but kind of an allegorical sense to them. But Shechem? Shechem. Shechem, uh-huh. Shechem was kind of a place of decision. Yeah. So it was kind of an allegorical point in... in mm-hmm. You mentioned him and uh, Jacob. Children of Israel. Yeah. Twice in their case, yeah. In their life where they had to make a decision. Yeah. And then as they went on down, or Abram went on down, um, he had to wait for a long period of time and maybe his whole life, I don't know how many years it was, 25, Mm -hmm. whatever it was. Yeah. Which is a... Long period of waiting on God and waiting on the promise that uh, he was mentioning you may not see fulfilled in your lifetime necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. So there was a point of decision and a point of waiting, and then there was the third one was uh, Bethel. Bethel, where he actually made a built an altar there. Yeah. And called on the Lord. Called on the Lord. Yeah. So yeah. those are all kind of allegorical points in our lives too, yeah. where we would make decisions and call on God and have to wait. Yeah. And, and as we said last week, he spent most of, most of his life, he then spent in the Negev, he spent down around Hebron, but he did journey to these other places, as we'll see uh, today he goes to Egypt, and, uh, and then uh, uh, next week we'll see that he actually returns to Bethel again. So there's another encounter at Bethel, and I think there's a specific reason why he does that. But, but most of his life is spent waiting on the Lord there in the Negev there at Hebron. And that's ultimately then where he buys a plot of ground to bury his wife Sarai when she dies. So uh, so it's a very significant place. It well, reminded me of the, as I mentioned to you, the, for those of you who, who know uh, Bill Ellis when he was here mm-hmm. years back, one of the sayings he used to have was, the problem with Christianity is that it's so daily. Yeah. <laughs> that, like Abram, he, you know, he wanted, I'm sure he wanted to see the promise. He wanted to see it happen, but yeah. he didn't. Yeah. For years and years. Yeah. And, uh, and some of the promise he never did see, mm-hmm. except by faith. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do you get it? <laughs> okay, I'll quit calling attention to it. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, let's pick it up then. Uh, we'll pick up the story in verse 10. And in verse 10, we discover then that there is a famine that happens in the land. And because of this famine then... Uh, Abram uh, sojourns down into Egypt and we have this whole uh, story of this encounter in Egypt. And this is, this is kind of a difficult passage for us to understand. Uh, it's, it's, it's actually a fairly straightforward story, but it's just, it's just written to us as historical narrative. It's given to us as historical narrative. And, and the writer, Moses, he doesn't, he doesn't really explicitly tell us how we should understand this event in the life of, of, of uh, Abram. And so we're kind of left to 
to look at it and, and see if we can kind of glean from the narrative some hints as to how we should understand this. I mean, obviously, the Holy Spirit saw that there was some reason why this story should be in here. And the question is, what is the reason? Why did he put this story in here about Abram? And, uh, and, and he doesn't really tell us explicitly what we're to learn from it. So we're going to have to kind of glean from some of the hints and some of the things that are said and some of the things that aren't said to try to understand a little bit about why is this story in here and what's the application of it to our own experience and our own walk with Christ. And, uh, and because we do that, you, you may not totally agree with all of my conclusions, but I hope that you'll, you'll see as we go through the passage that, that there obviously is some significance to it. And, uh, and I'll explain to you what, why I think uh, the significance is what I think it is. And, and uh, hopefully you'll agree with me. You may not, but if, if you don't, then you're going to have to figure out for yourself <laughs> what the passage really means. But uh, as, I, as I look at the passage, to me, I think that... Uh, well, one thing is clear is that this is... This is kind of, aside from the Lord's initial call of Abraham or Abram uh, in Haran, this is really kind of Abram's real first test of faith after he's received the promises. So God gave him those seven great promises that he gave him there at the beginning of this chapter. And, and based on those, on those promises then, as we saw last week, Abram leaves Haran and he goes to the land of promise. But now he gets to the land of promise and God, even in the land of promise, reaffirms uh, his promises to him by telling him that his descendants were going to inherit the land and he, and he has this encounter at Shechem with God and then he has another encounter with the Lord at Bethel and then he moves on down. And then, he, and then this famine comes on the land. And, and he doesn't just tell us it's a famine. He makes a point of the severity of this famine. And the famine then precipitates Abram's leaving the land of promise and going into Egypt. And I want to suggest to you, as I understand the passage and as I read the passage, that it seems like this passage here, this story here about the life of Abraham, Abraham is an example of the failure of Abraham's faith. Okay? Now, that may seem a little strange to talk about, <laughs> but I think we can illustrate as we go through the passage here and we look at what happens, uh, that it really is quite clear here that this great man of faith, the guy who is kind of the, the paradigm of faith when we get to the New Testament, that the guy really does struggle with this area of faith and he struggles with believing God. Okay? And that might be a little discouraging to you, but actually to me it's heartening. <laughs> because to me, if... if if we have a guy like Abram, whom, whom God clearly gives to us, as I said, as the, as the paradigm of faith, as the example of faith, if we can look at his life and we can see that even he struggled at times, and we will see that he does on more than one occasion struggle with the issue of faith, then it becomes encouraging to me. Because I realize, well... When God talks to us in Romans or Galatians or Hebrews or whatever about the greatness of Abram's faith, God knows that he failed and God knows that he stumbled. And, and it's encouraging to me to think that, that in, in my effort to walk by faith with God, that ultimately, even though I have many times in my life stumbled and failed in this area of faith, that ultimately the final assessment of the Lord on my life can still be that He's a man of faith. And it's true with you too. That even though you have struggled with, your, with faith in your life, and, and I assume you have because we all do, if you've struggled and you've stumbled and you've made mistakes and you've not always believed God and because you've not believed God, you've, you've made serious mistakes that have even hurt other people, that doesn't mean that the that the, total, the, the overall assessment of your life by the Lord cannot be that you are a man or woman of faith. And to me, that's encouraging. Okay. So we have Abram, and it's very clear from the, our lesson last week that the guy believed God and that he moved out in faith 
And he left Haran as a man of faith acting upon the promises of God. And he comes to the land of promise and he goes through these three steps that we talked about last week in the land of promise. And then we have this terrible famine that occurs. And this is, as I said, kind of the first of several tests that God is going to give Abram of his faith. And since some of these tests that he encounters, he, he, uh, he triumphs greatly. And in some of the tests, he fails. Okay? But ultimately, I think through it all, he's growing. Now, the question is, you're probably wondering, why do I think that this story is an evidence of Abram's failure of his faith? And there are actually several reasons. One is some of the things that we don't see in this story that we've already seen in the life of Abram. Uh, if you notice, but the, this famine comes and we have Abram going down to Egypt and we have the discussion of Abram's talk with his wife and we have, uh, we have the narrative about, his, about Pharaoh's discussion with, with uh, Abram. We have all of that, but there's something that's noticeably lacking in this narrative. Do you notice what it is? He never talks to God. There's no interaction. The only, the only mention of God in the passage is God's providential, sovereign interference in, in this whole thing with Pharaoh. That's the only discussion about God in the whole thing. God's not even mentioned. Okay. And you might say, well, you know, maybe it just, you know, narrator Moses for some reason decided not to tell the story. But I would suggest to you, that the same narrator makes a very pointed point when we get to the story of Jacob and Jacob's going down to Egypt, that Jacob actually is afraid to go to Egypt. And, he, and in his, this is, you remember, well, we'll get to this, of course, clear at the end of Genesis. It's clear up in about chapter 46 or so. Uh, after Joseph has gone to Egypt and then Jacob finds out that Joseph is still alive and he decides he wants to go see his son. And he starts to move and he gets as far as Beersheba and he stops at Beersheba. And he calls upon the name of the Lord because he's afraid to go into Egypt. And God specifically has to come to him, not once, but on several occasions. It says he actually appeared to him in visions, plural, at night, and appears to him and has to convince Jacob that he should go into Egypt. And he tells him, you're going to go into Egypt, I'm going to make of you a great nation there, and then many years later, you're going to come out as a great nation, etc., etc., etc. So, there's a, it's really interesting to me that that Jacob, who is not particularly someone that we think of as an example of great faith, when the question comes to him of whether or not he should go to Egypt, he stops very carefully and seeks the face of the Lord on that issue. And Abram doesn't. And I would suggest to you that that's one evidence that Abram really at this point is kind of thinking more about the circumstances. Now, somebody might say, well, Rick, this says the famine was really severe. You know, what would you do if you were Abram and you were in that situation and the famine was as severe as it apparently was? You know, wouldn't it be justifiable to get up and, and go to Egypt at least on a temporary basis to, to be able to feed your family and take care of your flocks? And, and, you know, and we know, of course, that by this time he was quite rich, he was quite wealthy, and he had all these flocks and herds and all this sort of stuff. And... Uh, and uh, so it, it it seems like well it would you know it would be reasonable that he would go. But the problem is, Abram has specific instructions from the Lord. When he left Haran, he was told to go to the land of promise. And he went to the land of promise, as the Lord directed him. But he has no direction to go anywhere else. There's no evidence that he has any direction to go to Egypt. And, and so he has this promise to go to Egypt, or promise to go to the land of promise, and this instruction to go to the land of promise, but he has no instruction or no promise beyond that. So he, he doesn't seem to have any direction or clarity from the Lord to move to Egypt. He doesn't appear to seek the Lord in reference to going to Egypt. And then I think probably the most conclusive thing to me that's an evidence here of Abram's failure of his faith is is this whole thing about him fearing for his life. And 
And he's so afraid for his life that he's willing to put his wife in jeopardy through an act of deception in order to protect himself. Now, on the surface of things, we might say, well, that, you know, that's understandable. I mean, he's going into this pagan environment and, you know, and, and these people are pretty lustful, sensual people and, uh, and that sort of thing. So it's, it's kind of understandable he would do that. But when we think that way, we're making the same mistake Abram did is we're forgetting this explicit promise of God that God had told Abram, those who bless you, I will bless and those who curse you, I will curse. And he had promised Abraham, he says, I will make of you a great nation and I will make your name great. So it seems to me that it's pretty clear that Abram had no reason to fear for his life. (laughs) That he had an explicit expression from God of God's blessing and protection on his life and that those who were his friends, God would bless and those who were his enemies, God would curse and that he had this promise of descendants and a nation and all this sort of thing, none of which had been fulfilled yet. So it seems like if Abram had been remembering the promises of God, that he would have said, well, you know, this whole thing about even if he had felt he should go to Egypt, he would have understood that in going to Egypt he was protected. So, so I would suggest to you that it seems pretty clear to me that as Abram makes this decision to leave the land of promise, albeit temporarily, to leave the land of promise and to go into Egypt, that he's really operating <coughs> from what in in New Testament terms, we call a carnal frame of mind. <laughs> He's not operating by faith. He's not remembering the promises and the instructions of God. He is confronted in his life by a severe famine. Now, as with, with all I've said about Abraham up to this point, I think I should say also, I can understand why he would do this. (laughs) This is a severe famine. And it, it seems pretty clear from what Moses is trying to tell us about the circumstances here is that it's really a situation that is beyond Abram's ability to deal with it. The only way he can see to deal with the situation is to leave the land of promise, to leave the land of blessing, and to go into Egypt. Now, have you ever been there? In your own life? You know, there are times in our lives when we face really severe circumstances. And when we look at those very severe circumstances, it's very easy for us to forget the promises of God, isn't it? We look at them and they just seem so overwhelming and they seem so impossible that we cannot imagine that there's any way it could work out unless we somehow get our hands involved in things and fix them. And and that's not to say that there aren't times when we're facing difficult situations in which God doesn't call us to take some specific action or direct us to do something to resolve the problem. But, but I think you know what I'm talking about because you've probably experienced it in your own life and I know I've experienced it in my life that there are times when we face in our lives the severe famine. Not just, not just the famine, but a severe famine. Not just difficult circumstances, but really impossible circumstances. And oftentimes those impossible circumstances, when we encounter them in our life, those impossible circumstances are given to us to test whether or not we will say at that point, I still believe God. I still trust God. And if God says this is the way I ought to live my life, and if God says this is the promise for my life, then this is what I will base my life upon. But oftentimes in my life, and maybe you have in your life, I've elected to go to Egypt. And we'll see what the consequences of that are in just a minute. Rick, do you think it complicates the situation that 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, he has, presumably at this point, hundreds of people dependent upon him. Yeah. That just increases the, increases the burden, doesn't it? It increases the tension. But the question still faces him, and I don't really think he thought through it, the question still faces him, who's really responsible for all these people? Is it me or is it the God of my promises? Okay. And the question is, Will he trust God? Will he rely upon God? There again, we face it in our own lives, particularly those of us that are men and are married and have families and children. You know, We have wives and children and, and people depending upon us and sometimes we find ourselves in circumstances and, and we feel the burden and we feel the weight of all this responsibility and it's oftentimes very possible for us in those circumstances to forget God's promises. Yeah, Charles. You know, I was looking ahead just a little bit. Well, that's yeah, that's a good point. We'll see that kind of as it folds. He kind of keeps blowing it there for a while, doesn't he? Yeah, until he really makes that one real. That's that's a good point, Charles. That'll be interesting to explore as we move forward. Yeah, Rick. And I see in this that um, God allowed this difficulty to come into his life to allow him to fail, so that he would see, bring to light character flaws yeah. that Abraham had to deal with. Yeah. And it's a very slow process for Abram to learn. Now I want to point out to you something that's, very, that's really interesting and, and it doesn't come out in this part of the narrative, but it will come out in, in, uh, in, in a later story because we find that this whole thing with Abram kind of misrepresenting the facts a little bit here, only telling a half-truth, uh, as we'll see, uh, that this actually is a pattern in Abram's life. It's not just a one-time thing. So it actually happens again uh, a number of chapters later. We'll run into it in chapter 20 when he goes to Gerar and, and, and he does the same thing over again. He doesn't learn his lesson from this sojourn into, uh, uh, into Egypt, as we'll see, and he makes the same mistake again. But when he, in that case, we actually get to hear Abram's justification for why he did what he did. And one of the things that's interesting is Abram justifies himself there in chapter 20. One of the things he says is, when I left my father's house, i.e., when he left Haran, he decided that this is the way he was going to do things. That whenever he got into this situation, that he was going to say, she is my sister. Okay? So he actually decided that he was going to do this long before this incident with Egypt. He actually decided it when he was leaving Haran. Okay. Now, I don't know about you, but that gives me pause. Because up till now, we've been talking about this great man of faith who believed God, and because he believed God, he left Haran. And when we were talking about all that last week, we were painting this great picture of this great man of faith who believed God and because he believed the promises of God, he was compelled to leave Haran and he walks out of Haran by faith. But now we find out that the Christian life is not a life of black and white. It's so often it's easy to think that it's kind of all or nothing. And you're either completely obedient to God or you're completely disobedient to God. And it's one or the other. And we oftentimes do that with ourselves. Some people, some of us are burdened with doing that to ourselves. But, but even more often, we do it to other people. We look at others and we look at other Christians and if they have some significant failure in their life, we just kind of want to write off them, write them off. Maybe they're not even Christians or whatever, and we just kind of write them off. Okay. So it is interesting, and I think it's instructive for us to learn that even as Abram is leaving Haran by faith in the promises of God, he still has this area of doubt and unbelief in his life. He's not a man of perfect faith. 
He's a man who still struggles. So even though he has these promises of God, remarkable promises, dynamic promises, seven of them all together, three of them that pertain directly to him and four of them that pertain, pertain to his relationship and his effect on other people, these remarkable promises, and these promises are the basis by which he leaves Haran and he goes out to a land that he does not know where he's going. Even as he's doing this, he has this fear. And he has this area of doubt in his life. And he decides and he goes to his wife Sarai and he says to her, listen, when we get in these places where these people are pretty pagan people, they're pretty nasty people, and I want, it, I want you to do this for me. I want you to say you are my sister. Now again, this doesn't come out in the passage we're looking at today, but when we get to chapter 20, we'll see that in fact she was his sister. Okay? She was his half-sister. Okay? So what Abram is asking Sarai to say and what he is saying about her is actually technically true. Okay? Or a, we could say a half-truth. Okay? And, and so, so as he's going out from Haran, he and Sarai agree together. Sarai, assuming, I'm assuming at this point, is simply submitting to Abram's wishes, whatever her particular desire or preference in the situation, you know, it, it, it doesn't tell us. Uh, but she is submitting to her husband, uh, Abram, at this point. And Abram, though he is a great man of great faith and a man to be admired and and, and, and to be modeled after, uh, he is still a man who struggles with the whole area of faith. He struggles with trusting God. He struggles with confidence in the promises of God. Okay? And, 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 and I think that when we see Abram in that light, then maybe you can relate to him a little bit more. It's hard to relate to this guy who has perfect faith and he never stumbles. But when we see Abram the way we see him now, we begin to see, hey, maybe there's hope for me. <laughs> Maybe I can become an Abram. Maybe I can become a man like Abram who others will look at and want to imitate my life. Because I don't have to be perfect to be an encouragement and a help and a source of strength and a model to others. Okay. So, yes? I mean, I can fully understand him being scared and all that. But, I mean, like, give up your wife. I mean, that's kind of the basic thing. <laughs> For his, I mean, that's what you give your life for is your wife and your kids. Yeah. And just say, here, take her. Yeah. It's okay. kind of almost incomprehensible. And for that reason, I don't think that's actually what he was doing. Okay, here's what I think was going on. And some commentators agree on this. And, is that Abram never really expected or wanted Sarai to be taken by somebody else. Uh, what he's doing is he's He's scheming, we should, in modern terms today, in the flesh. And when we're thinking in the flesh, we're not always thinking clear. And if he says to these people, she is my sister, that makes him her brother, okay? He's his brother. That puts him in an entirely different position in relationship to all these pagans. So if, in the pagan culture, if you see a woman and you desire her and she doesn't have a father there, but she does have a brother, what do you do? Negotiate. Pardon? You negotiate. You negotiate. You go to them and you negotiate. Okay? So I think what's going on here, I think one thing is clear through this whole story is Abram really loves Sarai. I think that's pretty clear. I mean, here's a woman who is now 65 years of age and she's barren. He's 75 years of age. She's barren and he's been faithful to her all these years. He's not gotten himself another wife. He's not gone out and shacked up with anybody else. He's been faithful to her. So I think it's clear he loves her. So I don't think, giving him the benefit of the doubt here, I don't think that he actually anticipated that things would unfold the way they did. I think probably what he was hoping was that if he said she's my sister, that people would come to him to negotiate and he would be able to buy time to get out of the circumstances. I think that's what's going on. Okay, But the problem is, when we start thinking in the flesh and not trusting the promises of God, we come up with these great plans and they backfire on us. Has that ever happened to you? <laughs> that's happened to me so many times, you know, I couldn't count them all. Okay. You think, oh, I'll do it this way, I'll do it this way, and it backfires on us, and it doesn't work. And the reason it doesn't work is because God's not in it. Okay? 
So I think what's going on, and just again giving Abram the benefit of the doubt here, I think what's going on here is he's hoping he can buy some time and somehow get himself out of the predicament. And, uh, and, and in fact, the problem is that Pharaoh doesn't negotiate. <laughs> Pharaoh just gets what he wants. Okay? Now, he turns out he's fairly generous. And so, so Pharaoh just takes her and then he just dumps on Abram all this wealth. You know, all these camels and sheep and oxen and donkeys and male servants and female servants. And it's all plural. So, you can, I mean, my dad had an expression. Some people, they just fall in the creek and they come up with their pockets full of fish, you know. And this is Abram, you know. He just falls in the creek and he comes up with his pockets full of, full of fish, okay. And, and you go, how is this just? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, I'm getting a little ahead of the story. But so at any rate, Abram, I am assuming, again, giving him the benefit of the doubt, Abram, Abram then goes into Egypt and he says, he, says to, uh, he says to Sarah, he says, reminds her of their agreement from when they left Haran. And he says, would you please say, uh, you know, that you, that you are my sister. And, and he says, because I, I see that you are a very beautiful woman. <laughs> Now, women, when you hear us saying those kind of things, watch out. <laughs> we may be setting you up. <laughs> he was kind of flattering her at that point. Now, you know, when I tell my wife she's beautiful, I'm not always flattering her, but it has been known to happen. <laughs> so watch out, guys, uh, and watch out, women. Anyway, he's kind of he's kind of setting her up, and he says that that I see that you're very beautiful, and he says when the Egyptians see you, they're going to think the same thing, and they're going to want they're going to want you for their wife. Now, I do give Abram the benefit of the doubt that he didn't really intend for her to be taken. But what is clear is that Abram's lie, and I call it a lie, uh, that Abram's lie is intended to protect himself while imperiling his wife. Okay. So it really is a neg- it's 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 a negligence on his part. His responsibility is to protect her and shield her. And though I don't really believe he ever really intended her to be taken, he's clearly put her in a position of great peril. Well, but also imperil the promise, uh, not just the wife. Absolutely. He doesn't have a wife anymore. How's God going to do that? Absolutely. It imperils the promise. It imperils her. And and that's why. I'm not inclined to give Abraham a lot of slack at this point. I call it a lie. Now, technically, she was his sister. Okay. And it raises the question, do we always have to tell the whole truth in every situation? Actually, I don't think she was in this case either. No, it says he took her into his house. Apparently, things unfolded fairly quickly at that point. Typically, when a woman was taken into a harem, she was she spent and you see this in the story of Esther. She spent some time of preparation before she's actually presented to the king. And uh, so, in this story, I don't assume here either that there was actually any sexual relation between her. But clearly. She's in great peril, uh, whether or not that did happen. And, you know, that's a, a bit of a subject, subjective opinion on my part. Uh, but I, I don't think she was actually physically, sexually taken, but she was in his house and clearly was headed that direction. So, I think they, go, go I ahead. Think Abram understood the protocols. Yes. Time. Yes. And so he knew that if he went into Egypt with a sister, that they would understand that she was a sister, therefore she's available, therefore we have protocols that we follow. Yes. 
if she takes him, takes her in as his wife, then they have no protocol to get her. So they will kill him. Yes, exactly, exactly. So yeah. I think he understood that situation, and he and I. Your phrase, I think, is correct. He bought time. Yeah, yeah. Until he yeah. I, I think that's what he was hoping he could do. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why I think he should never have left Canaan in the first place. Because he puts himself in a situation where he's actually, just even by the fact that he leaves Canaan and goes uh, into, uh, into Egypt, he's, he's putting her in this position. Uh, so, so, at any rate, he's. The question, though, that I that I've asked and I haven't really gotten an answer yet is. That's what I was going to address. Okay, all right. Your your question is about half truth. Yes. We face that all the time. Exactly. Uh, for example, a, late, a young lady at work came up to several men who were presumably friends. She did not wear makeup that day, and she said, "Should I go put on some makeup?" <laughs> that is class number one. Whoa. Yeah. Class number one hand trap. <laughs> <laughs> the guys there, they, uh, well, uh, yeah, um, hey, you answer that. <laughs> I, said, I can answer the question. So she came over to me and I said, uh, makeup helps many women become more beautiful than they already are. <laughs> she said, are you saying I'm beautiful? And I said, yes. And she, what if she hadn't been? <laughs> Her, you lucked out. <laughs> her face glowed and she left. Yeah. But I didn't answer the question yeah. in a way. Now, in your half truth example, I could have said, Yeah, you better go get. Run! Go put on makeup. Yeah. I could have said it that yeah. way or, you know, whatever. But. <clears throat> Well, that's an example, and we have, uh, you know, and, and we have even more serious examples yeah. when, we, when you're dealing with areas of maybe national security or things like that. Okay, and, and I know this gets into into some pretty difficult areas, and I don't tend to explore all those. I do not think that in every given situation we have to tell people everything. Okay. Uh, Sometimes it's just not appropriate. Okay. Sometimes it's actually destructive to do that. Okay. Should Abram have told more than he told in this situation? I think quite clearly yes. And that's why I think that, that Abram's statement here, uh, that Abram's approach here is actually a lie. It's a deception and it's intended, uh, it, whatever his intention, it ends up being destructive. Yes. <laughs> okay, we'll deal with that here. In, we'll deal with that here in a bit. Okay. Yeah, really. So he, by what he does, he forfeits temporarily his potential to be a blessing. He actually becomes a curse. Okay. Secondly. He imperils his wife. And, and third thing, by what he says and fails to say, he, mislead, he, he allows Pharaoh to be misled into sin. And that's why I think quite clearly in this case, it was wrong for him to withhold the information that he had. Okay? That it constituted a lie. It constituted a deception that was not honoring to God. For those three reasons that I just mentioned, okay, and and particularly because it doesn't give Pharaoh the information that Pharaoh needs to act righteously, okay, he withholds the information that Pharaoh needs. So no, I don't believe that in every situation we have to tell all the facts, okay, but we are responsible to tell those facts, which in the telling of them is an act of love. And Abram, who is Abram concerned about in this situation? Himself. He's only concerned about himself. I mean, there is, I think, giving him the benefit of the... Pardon? Well, I think he is concerned to some degree for his wife, but, but clearly we have an inversion here. He's more interested in himself, and that comes out very clearly uh, when, he says, uh, when he says to her, 
please say that you are my sister, verse 13, so that it may go well with me because of you and that I may live on account of you. Okay. So it's very clearly that although there, as I say, I, I have, I give him the benefit of the doubt. He does love his wife, etc. Uh, clearly he's placed himself on a higher plane, a higher uh, priority, and that is the motivation for what he does. So I think it's, to me, it's pretty clear that even though what he says is a half tr- is is true, it is a half truth that constitutes a deception or a lie, which is ultimately destructive. It's destructive to his wife. It's destructive to Pharaoh, and it's destructive to Abram, in spite of the blessing he receives, as we'll see in a minute here. I think. Okay. We don't know that Abram. We don't know that Pharaoh would have acted had he known the truth. We don't. The only reason. You know that Pharaoh acted honorably because he saw the results of the curse. Excellent. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And I and I and I have no reason to believe he would have acted honorably, but the fact is, without the information, he couldn't act honorably. You know. So. Uh, but think about this: if he had a lie, and he comes in and Pharaoh wants to take his wife, God could have done great things to show all the people there, I am the Almighty God. Which is, in fact, what he ultimately did anyway, isn't it? I mean, that's what he did. So it's clear that, that, that God could have done that. And I think it's pretty clear he would have had Abram trusted God and had Abram told the whole truth. Because even though Abram didn't, God did step in. So, uh, so I think that is pretty clear. Yeah. One more thing that I've seen recently, too, is that by his deception, uh, it basically ruined any testimony that God Yes, and, and we're coming to that point, okay? So, so going on then with the story, Abram tells this lie, which, which I call a lie because it's, it's a half-truth that's self-serving and destructive and not done in love. And so he tells this lie, and the result, of course, as you see, is that Sarah gets taken into Pharaoh's house. And uh, whatever happens there, we don't know for sure. But then... What's the effect on Pharaoh? Well, first, before I go to that, what's the effect on Abram? He gets a haul. <laughs> I mean, he makes a haul. Like you say, it solves the, <laughs> solves the famine problem. Great, you know. Now he's got all these servants and all these animals and, you know. And, and it just, to us, it's incomprehensible, isn't it? That people can do something so wrong and benefit so much from it. Yeah, assuming that it's wrong, yeah. And, but even if this one isn't, we have seen that in our lives a lot, haven't we? We see a lot of people who do things wrong and, and they seem to just benefit by, for years. You know, David asked that problem, in the, of that question in the Psalms. Why do the wicked prosper? You know, Job asked the same question, you know. That question, and, and you've probably asked it in your I know I've asked it in my life. Because I've made decisions in my life because I thought that's what God wanted me to do and I wanted to honor the Lord and be pleasing to Him and follow Him and I made an effort to follow Him and it, and it resulted in difficulty in my life and then I look at other people who were given the same choice or the same decision and they chose to go another route and they, they seem to get you know, all kinds of goodies because they went the way they went. And I say to the Lord, why do you do that? Yeah. Why, why do they prosper when they go that way and when I choose to follow you you know, then I struggle and I have problems and I have difficulties. And that's what we have here in, in Abram's case, that assuming, as you say, that, that, he, that he was wrong in what he did, why does all this stuff fall upon him? Well, because that's what, yeah. I don't see this as a case of the wicked prospering. I think he's still God's man and he may have waffled, but I mean, God's promise, I mean, God's able to, I mean, I've seen it in my life, I've mm-hmm. this scale. Is she your sister? I wouldn't have to worry about Pharaoh killing me if I came up with a plan like that. Yeah, yeah. Be careful. You didn't think it was a case of the wicked prospering. Yeah, yeah I... Somehow, I mean, I've seen in my life one places where I've lost my nerve. Mm-hmm. God has graciously bailed yeah. me out. Yeah, and absolutely. I see that is not His approval of what I was doing. The fact that his, through His mercy, He's merciful. He knows I'm yeah. fallible. Yeah. And He knows ultimately, hopefully, I will get it right. Yeah. If I give Him, give him enough chances. 
that he that he stepped in. And I you know, I don't understand this because God doesn't condemn him here. Yeah. And he turns around, he does it again after God stepped in and bailed him out once. So you think he would have learned his lesson? So yeah. It's a hard one for me to understand. I you know, yeah. maybe it, maybe he never anticipated Pharaoh getting involved. Maybe he thought, you know, yeah. I'll ask such a high price, these guys will. Yeah. Away. yeah, yeah, He didn't know they'd run until Pharaoh. Yeah. Well, if you look at it from Abram's perspective, there is no negative here. You know. Oh, but there is. Well, look at it directly. I've got all this stuff. I got my wife back. I didn't get killed. Yeah. yeah but the there is. Wife was not with him. That I can't imagine was his first list. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I mean... I was just reading what the story says. Yeah. There is no negative listed here. Oh, oh there is a negative. Okay, well, there is a negative. Yeah, there is a negative. But And I didn't even think about what you're talking about. Uh, I didn't think about that in depth. I just kind of, you know, I thought about it briefly. Is You know, what, what are you thinking there when your wife is in Pharaoh's house and you're sitting here with all these donkeys and sheep and oxen and all this sort of stuff? You, know? you just made a haul and you made a haul... Excuse me, go ahead. Oh, I'm sure he thought that. I'm sure he's thinking. I'm sure he's justifying it, figuring out. You know, well, you know, I'm I'm doing this, you know, so that God can fulfill His promise. I have no doubt he's thinking that. That's why I would have thought. That's why I would have justified it. Yes, Charles. I keep thinking about how Moses is writing all this down, and he just hits a rock and doesn't get. It really is a puzzle for us, though, isn't that? That is a puzzle for us. Why does God choose when one Christian disobeys to deal with them in one way and when we disobey, He deals with us in a different way, sometimes seemingly more harshly? But I still want to argue, and I'm going to, before we quit here today, I'm going to say, and I think I'm going to prove, that Abraham lost something in this deal. Okay? Doesn't it say more about God than it does Abraham? Oh, a lot more about God, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I think that, yeah. Oh, uh, you just scratch you know, that's in an auction you can buy something there. <laughs> uh, okay, now remember oh, excuse me, yeah. Yeah. Well there's all kinds yeah, that's one re- one reason and there are other reasons. Sometimes it's because we need a different lesson than somebody else needs. Or because there are different issues at stake. And so Yes. Absolutely. Well, I keep telling you that I think the story tells us that Abraham lost something in the deal. And, and I think it's pretty clear. It's already been alluded to. But you remember back several weeks ago when we were in the first part of chapter 12 and we were talking about those seven promises of God and we discovered something about Abram that's that's wrapped up in those seven promises of God, and it is this. One of the promises that God made to Abram is that he would be the blessing bearer. Remember that? We talked a lot about being a blessing bearer. And God said that you're going to be a blessing, that all the nations of the earth would be blessed through you, those who bless you I will bless, and those who curse you I will curse. And there's this whole idea that God, who is so intent upon blessing not only Abram, but blessing all of mankind and blessing all the nations of the earth, that He has chosen this one man and through this one man to put this one man, put upon this one man His blessing and through this one man to distribute His blessing to all the nations. That's God's plan. And that's God's purpose. And Abram stands in this remarkable, privileged position of being the first blessing bearer. But he goes down into Egypt and he loses sight of the promise and he fails to walk by faith. And we read that God, as a result of Abram's actions, sent into to Pharaoh and to Pharaoh's house great plagues, plural. 
Now, we read right through that, and you know, just kind of read right on by, but just stop and think about it. If you're Pharaoh, or Pharaoh's wife, or Pharaoh's kids, or Pharaoh's servants, and there are in your life multiple plagues, okay? When you think plague, think pain. Okay? When you think plague, think pain. And you know, you know, in life, life's going pretty good. You're just kind of going along, and you enjoy sitting down and eating a good meal and all that sort of thing. Or you enjoy laying down in bed and getting in a warm bed and laying down and going to sleep, and you enjoy that pleasure, unless there's pain. And when there's pain, significant pain, you don't enjoy anything, do you? You don't enjoy a good meal. You don't enjoy a good night's sleep. You don't enjoy sex. You don't enjoy anything when there's pain. And this has happened in the household of Pharaoh because Abram would not believe God. And I don't want to sound hyper-spiritual here, but I tell you what, I would rather know that my life was a blessing to others than to have all these things that Pharaoh, that Abram got because of what he did. Sure, he had all this stuff dumped on him, but he had to deal with the guilt of knowing that he got it because his wife is now in Pharaoh's house. He had to deal with that. But in addition to that, he had to realize that where God had intended him to be a blessing and to bring a blessing, he had now brought a curse. And it wasn't really Pharaoh's fault. It was his fault. And that's, you see, that's what happens. You know, this whole idea of being a blessing bearer and you and I are blessing bearers and that's a great privilege and that's a great blessing that God has given to us to be able to be a blessing to others. And when we fail to believe God and when we fail to obey God, we interrupt that flow of blessing. And there are people in my life, in the history of my life, to whom I have brought a curse and not a blessing because I did not obey God and because I did not believe God. And whatever temporal thing I might, advantage I might have gained from that I'd rather have been a blessing. And I think Abram did really. I think he really did lose something here. I don't know if he realized it at the time. I don't know at what point he realized it. But as somebody's pointed out, you put it quite bluntly when you said he lost his testimony. You know, I, I have no reason to expect that for the rest of Pharaoh's life, whenever he thought about Abram and Abram's God... He thought about being betrayed and he thought about being plagued. He thought about all that nasty stuff. He didn't think about Abram's integrity and he didn't think about Abram's generosity and he didn't think about Abram's goodness and he didn't think about Abram's God in any kind of a positive light. He only thought of him as this God that just about killed him because, he, because one of God's people deceived him. And, it's a, and, and I think it's a very sobering warning to you and I as blessing bearers of the responsibility we have and the jeopardy that we put that in when we fail to walk by faith. Oh, yeah, I, I, I have my doubts that he was. <laughs> yeah, he had a harem. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Should have at least asked, yeah. But, you know, as pointed out, there's protocols. And when you're dealing with the king, as you all know, the protocols are always a little different. <laughs> well, there's one last important thing to remember from this lesson. God's grace overrules it all. And God in His 
sovereign, providential action because he'd made a promise he would not go back on. Even though Abram was faithless, he remained faithful because he cannot deny himself. And that's the testimony, I think, too, of your life, isn't it? Of all those times that you've failed and you've doubted and you've gone the wrong direction because you've doubted and you've not trusted God and not obeyed God, still His grace still keeps overriding that, doesn't it? Because you are a child of promise. And because you are a blessing bearer. And so God sovereignly and in His grace and in His wisdom and in His remarkable love for you overrides your mistakes. And He does it here with Abram and He'll do it again and again and again in Abram's life as we'll see as we go forward in the story. Well, tomorrow or next week He's going to come back from Egypt and after this experience He's going back to Bethel, folks. He needs to go back to Bethel. Okay?